0: What's up and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower and we've got a full show today. Today, October first, a Thursday. Gino Ariema and the three captains, Kristen Williams, Olivia Nelson-Adota, and Avina Westbrook, met with the media for the first time since August. So, Last time we talked to the team, they were still in pods. I think they were actually only on like their third day of workouts. I didn't realize that until later when I was going back through some audio. So, Pretty much everything that came out of that session, in terms of things we learned about the team on the court, should have all been taken with a grain of salt. But Now they've been on the court for close to a month and a half. And we've got some new stuff to talk about. First, I think the most important thing that came out of today was Gino was asked about the schedule. So here's what he confirmed. He confirmed the Big East is going to play 20 games, which was the plan before the pandemic and has been reported coming up to today. I think the most interesting thing he said was that in terms of non-conference play, Their games with Baylor, Notre Dame, South Carolina, Tennessee, and then the Mohegan Sun tournament with Quinnipiac, Mississippi State, and Maine are all still on, and when he said that, he basically just meant that nobody's canceled it yet, which I think was a little open-ended and misleading, just because I think as conferences start to figure out what their plans are going to be, that's going to start to push out non-conference games, so Gino said that those are still on the docket. I would be surprised if all of them happen. I know we talked about this last podcast. What are your overall impressions with the scheduling news?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, like you said, it's still kind of up in the air, right? As these conferences start making conference decisions and everything else will start to fall into place. I mean, I think it's exciting that we're seeing that we're going to get a full biggie East slate. Um, that's like, you know, 20 games on the schedule when there's this many question marks. It's just nice to know that you've already got 20 games. Um, and then in terms of the non-conference games I think it's reasonable to expect that I mean some of those are still going to get played and a team like UConn like all those teams are not going to want to kick UConn off their schedule they're going to want to keep UConn on their schedule so hopefully UConn will kind of have some choice in what they can make worth there I think you know even if they just play like the Baylor and the South Carolina ones those are going to be the two kind of key ones I think I mean Notre Dame should be better than last year and Tennessee is always a decent program but I think you know getting those kind of top two games in would be what I would just hope we get to see if we just had 22 big or 20 biggest games in those two games I think I would be satisfied with that
0: yeah honestly even before Gina mentioned all this I was kind of thinking that they should just push Tennessee off to 2022 or even like 2023 just push it to a date where there's going to be fans because Honestly, in my opinion, there's no point in playing that game if you're not going to have fans. That game was pretty much scheduled for the fans. It's a charity fundraiser, so I think some portion of the ticket sales were supposed to go to the Pat Summit Foundation, or there was some tie-in with the Pat Summit Foundation. And obviously last season, the atmosphere at the XL Center with Tennessee was phenomenal. I think it would be a shame that Tennessee wouldn't get the same thing in their home arena, so... I don't see any harm in just delaying that a couple years, especially because they don't have any series lined up going into the future. And then, yeah, I think the Notre Dame series has really lost its appeal until the fighting Irish prove that they're a good team otherwise, and that there's still some sort of rivalry because half of the Notre Dame rivalry was Gino and Muffet McGraw going back at each other on top of there being really competitive games. But if that one got delayed for a year, especially this year, again, with no fans, because that's such a big component of it. And in the first year of Neil Ivy's tenure, I think I would be fine with that. But yeah, you got to keep the Baylor and South Carolina games on just to give you a test that you're not going to get in the big East. And I think maybe something that could work would be having a bubble type setup where UConn just hosts those three teams and, on a Monday they play Baylor and then on a Wednesday or Thursday they play South Carolina and you add in a fourth team into that mix. Maybe even bring in Notre Dame and each team gets two games. They all play high level opponents and they're in a quasi bubble where they don't have to quarantine coming in and out if they can test in before they come in. Cause I remember when UConn football was talking about having to travel, obviously this governor's, travel restrictions are a major factor in the what UConn can do with traveling. But I think the teams were going to be given some permission where if they tested before they came and were all clean, they'd be allowed to come in. So if something like that could happen, but yeah, I think the non-conference season isn't going to be what we're used to. And especially with 20 biggies games, I think if you can just get the top teams and just push the rest to other years or just, forget about them for this year, I think that would be pretty much ideal.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And then I guess there's still some possibility that that, you know, Mohican Sun tournament gets held as well. I think we've heard a lot on the men's side about kind of what's happening with all these tournaments and haven't really heard much on the women's side. So hopefully as all the men's days start to get ironed out, we'll start to hear more on the women's side about, you know, how they're going to move forward with some of those and where they can play them.
0: Right. Well, as David Benedict said in a story a couple weeks ago, they're not gonna set up all these tournaments for the men and then just not do anything for the women. That's definitely a Title IX violation somewhere. (laughs) And also with the specific tournament that UConn's in, it's already supposed to be at Mohegan Sun. You have three teams in it from New England, so maybe Mississippi State gets bumped, maybe they can still come in, but of all the tournaments to run, that one's probably going to be the easiest to pull off. So I would be surprised if something like that didn't happen. And if anything, it sounds like that's going to be what kicks off the season because what are the dates for that? That's, is that, I think that starts November 28th, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I think it was a like Thanksgiving, and you know, feast week tournament. I think we're starting to see some of those, at least in the men's side kind of get pushed into early December, but it should be kind of one of the things that kicks off the season. Agreed.
0: Yeah, and today when Gino was talking, he made a comment about the season starts October 28th, but it's two months away, and I think he meant to say November 28th, <laughs> and if it was November 28th, that's the date that lines up with the Quinnipiac game against Bohegan Suns, so assuming Gino was correct and the season starts November 28th, it honestly sounds like that tournament might be a go breaking news here on Chasing Perfection.
1: (laughs) That would be excellent, and especially if they can get Mississippi State, and their Mississippi State's probably a top-ten program this year that gives them a real test right off the bat. So it would be great to see that kind of go on as planned.
0: Also, just obviously Vic Schaefer's not there anymore, but (laughs) that's a nice little storyline to start the season off with. You get a nice home state rival that you've only played once recently, and then the team that ended probably their one of their best chances at winning a national championship where they didn't in Gino's tenure. So that would be a really fun weekend.
1: Yeah, exactly. It should be a really fun way to kick off the uh, season. Assuming it goes on as planned. i kind keep saying that because I don't want to get my right. too much, but <laughs> yeah. Right. Every
0: single thing we talk about comes with if it goes on as planned, 20 game <laughs> schedule, if it goes on as planned, all these non-conference games, if it goes on as planned, but what isn't planned anymore, is uconn's finally practicing in full teams it sounds like they've been doing that for about two weeks i think one of the more interesting insights we got was that obviously the freshmen are going to take center stage in this season because there's six of them and there's only five returners but what i noticed when gino was talking today he wasn't cutting the line between the freshmen and the older players. He was talking about seven newcomers today when you add in Avina Westbrook and then four original returners. So maybe I'm looking into it a little too much, but I wonder if maybe Avina Westbrook is behind Kristen Williams, Olivia Nelson, Adota, Anna Makarot, and Aubrey Griffin so far, just if she's getting tossed in with the newcomers in quotes.
1: Yeah, that's interesting to think about. I mean, she's definitely new to the system that she has never like actually stepped on the court in a UConn uniform, but she has been with the program for a year. So it's kind of, I feel like interesting that she's getting bumped into that. One of the things that I've seen from the availability is just some talk about her conditioning, which could be part of why she's kind of getting lumped in with that freshman group. And also it makes sense from her perspective that she's coming off an injury and off of a pretty major surgery. Um, So I guess it'll be interesting to kind of see how that develops and where she fits in in this rotation.
0: Right, well, especially considering if Kristen Williams to be trusted, which I can't imagine a player that speaks her mind more freely than her. Apparently Paige Beckers, I don't know if you've heard of her. She's a new recruit for UConn, a point guard. Apparently she's pretty good. So this is what Kristen Williams had to say about Paige today. Paige is really good. She's special. First of all, she's a very consistent shooter and she can see the floor really well. She's one of those passers that it shocks you because you didn't even see them open and she saw them and then it's an open shot. She's a floor general. I'm really excited to play alongside her. I know we've kind of gone back and forth about how much can we expect about Paige out of Paige, but it seems like she's coming along pretty quickly and I think the fact that she's already impressing Kristen Williams as a floor general and she points that out is gonna go a long way to her being part of the plan to replace Crystal Dangerfield
1: yeah I would agree with that uh, very much on the like team of like trying to temper my expectations It's so <laughs> much pressure for like an 18 year old but I mean to see the players kind of starting to say all this stuff about her not just like all the hype from the media that Pages had since she was kind of hit the spotlight in her high school career. I think it's exciting to see it. Um, I mean, obviously Kristen speaks her mind quite a bit. And so if she's kind of says that page seems like she's kind of ready, that's a really good sign for this team.
0: It's just good to finally hear something about these players as basketball players in a college setting, because like I said, the last availability, they had basically been on the court three days. So of course all the upperclassmen are going to say that the freshmen look good because They're trying to impress early on, but you've had a pretty good amount of time in practice and Gino admitted they're taking it slow and they're not doing anything too in depth. But at the same time, Kristen Williams isn't, is a guard. It's not like she's a center that isn't used to passing the ball. Kristen Williams could probably play point guard if they really needed her to. Yeah. So the fact that she's saying Paige is seeing lanes and passing opportunities that she isn't, that's really impressive for anyone. And then, I also specifically asked Kristen about Aaliyah Edwards because to me, she's honestly the biggest mystery in this freshman class because Mir, we heard pretty much from the time she committed, she's super athletic and she's going to be an Aubrey clone. And then Piath, we heard, yeah, she's going to be a project. Anika, she's a pass 1st point guard. Aaliyah Edwards has literally played for the Canadian national team already. Like, I feel like that gets way glossed over and she's 6'3". What was really interesting with Aaliyah is that Kristen compared her to Nafisa Collier. She said she's one of those players that can play on the outside, but she flourishes more on the inside. Nafisa Collier is maybe the most underappreciated player in program history, but that's huge praise.
1: Yeah, I mean, as soon as I saw that quote, I was super excited about about watching Aaliyah Edwards play for this team. I mean, I think anyone that ever listens to me talk about UConn basketball knows that I, like, love Nafisa Collier. I think she's insanely good. Um, But, yeah, so to hear that she's kind of like Fiat anyway is super exciting. Um, And I think what also – what Kristen said about her defense is exciting to hear. I think that's one of the things transitioning to the next level, whether it's high school to college or then college, the WNBA that players tend to struggle with the most is catching up on the defensive end. Um, so to hear that she's there, probably because of her experience in the national
0: team
1: really
0: for this team. From what we've seen of how Gina, oh wait, you cut out. Oh. Were you still going? Because it went totally like blank for me.
1: Um, I set up. I've just. I think what Kristen said about her, Aliyah Edwards on the defensive end is really exciting too because it kind of sounds like she's already pretty mature on that end. And I think when you look at players going to the next level, whether, whether that be high school to college or college to the WNBA, that's one of the hardest transitions to make. Players tend to take a little bit to kind of catch up on that end of the floor. So to see that she's kind of already there probably from her experience playing with the Canadian national team is really exciting for this team.
0: Right. And what we know about Gino is that he's pretty much criticized every single player he's ever had on their defense. So that's pretty much his number one thing with a player. If you can play defense, you're probably going to earn minutes on the court. We saw that with Aubrey Griffin last year, even though she did add a lot on the offensive end and especially rebounding her defense is what got her on the court. So if Aaliyah Edwards can already be a really good defender on a team last year, that was really good on defense and rebound where I think they're a little thin, we can go back to our freshman rankings. I still think Paige probably is the most impactful freshman this year, but I don't know that Aliyah is going to be super far behind her. I think she, I think people are kind of sleeping on her, and she might even be in contention to be one of the better freshmen in the country.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that, especially because she's going to kind of plug a hole that UConn has. Right, they lost um, Nafisha now two years ago, but they lost Megan Walker as well, who kind of played that small forward role, um, kind of at the four. So it's a big hole for them that they need to kind of find someone to plug into. And she seems like if, you know, I'm just taking this off of Kristen's word, but like, if she's really already at that level, she's going to be a good player to kind of plug in in that front court.
0: See, the thing that makes me trust what Kristen is saying is we're going to jump on down to Piaz. <laughs> she obviously praised every single one of them, but she didn't really mince words with PS. She said, quote, she has a lot of work, she said, quote, she has a lot to work on, but once she can have her footwork and stuff down, you know, the regular freshman stuff, she'll be really good. She's been watching Liv, Lisbon mentoring her, basically, she's been doing a lot of work with CD. So, it sounds like Piaf is pretty much exactly as advertised. She has a lot of size, but she's really raw, and it might take her a year, maybe even two years, to be anywhere near an impact player, because she still needs to get the basic stuff down, but I thought just that part of Kristen's spiel about all the freshmen is that it's not all positive and she does admit that like I think Kristen was definitely highlighting all their positive attributes but from the sounds of it I would guess that Piath probably isn't gonna gonna isn't gonna get a ton of minutes early on
1: yeah I would agree with that um and I think that's pretty expected right kind of what we would have guessed coming out the gate anyway but Um, kind of confirms now that they've been on the court a little bit and kind of seen what everyone can do.
0: Mir, Kristen basically said they have two Aubrey's now. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a huge surprise, but I just really want to watch those two play together.
1: Yeah, that's going to be so much fun. I mean, Aubrey herself is so much fun to watch by having two players like that. If they put them on the court together, this is going to cause havoc on both ends of the floor. It's going to be so much fun to watch.
0: They could legitimately be like an unbelievable defensive team this year this is assuming that Mir also has the defensive ability that Aubrey brought last season. But if you have someone like live down low who before she dipped at in the middle of the season and before the pandemic canceled the NCAA tournament, she was going to obliterate the program shot block record for the season. She was on pace, to just totally surpass it. So you've got her down low to defending the rim. Then you've got Aubrey and Mir who Both should have the athleticism to be great defenders. And then ideally, Kristen Williams is going to be a good defender this year. You're only really losing Crystal as a defensive player last year. I don't think, as the WNBA has shown, Megan was ever going to win defensive awards, Megan Walker. So I don't really think losing her is going to hurt them defensively. So you're pretty much taking a team that was already really, really good defensively and adding some pieces that could make them elite.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I feel like it's not something you usually associate with like UConn teams. Not that there haven't been teams that are excellent defensively, but they're usually just so good offensively that you don't even think about the defense that much. And I think last year we kind of saw like they weren't that great offensively, but they were very strong on defense. And then this year they have potential to be extremely strong on the defensive end, which can kind of help them out in that even if their offense takes a little bit to find itself, Kind of like it did last year where it spent most of the season finding itself last year but uh if it doesn't all come together right away they can kind of lean on that defensive effort to anchor them
0: right for sure all right so we're gonna get to the last two freshmen Kristen said nika's passes are crazy good which she kind of came in as a pass first point guard so i think that was expected and then autumn chasson she said autumn can shoot lights out which is what her dad said about her obviously can't take a parent's word exactly about their kid, but seems like that holds up true. So if you can remember, do your freshman rankings that we did on either the first or second episode change based on Kristen Williams' word?
1: Yes, because I'm pretty sure I did not have Aaliyah Edwards second, probably because we just hadn't heard that much about her. But I feel like, yeah, she has to be in that second spot right now just off of everything that Kristen Williams has said. And I'm trying to remember what else I did. I want to say I probably had Miriam McLean second, so I would just drop her down the third and then everything else would probably stay the same from there. Um, where, I still' ps I think I had her fourth and I think I would still keep her there. I just think like the size just gives her an advantage um in some you know some lineups that'll just make a lot of sense some of these bigger teams it might take a little bit of a while for her to get there, but I just think also the guards are just so deep so. I feel like she has more of a potential to make an impact over Nika. I think I'm going to flip-flop.
0: I, I actually don't remember who I had fourth <laughs> and fifth, but I know I had page one, Aaliyah two, and Mir three. I think I'm actually going to move Nika up to four because she's a European player. I think the expectation should probably be that she's going to be ready for the college game like Anna was. And I think Anna's struggles were more mental than her being actually a capable basketball player at the college level and I think there's a spot for her if she can be a really good passer on this team I don't think that's a role they've really had recently just because there hasn't been anyone that's fit fit it but I think she's still gonna find her way into minutes even though that backcourt is really really crowded especially since again I've said this a few times but I just really don't have a lot of confidence in Avina's knees. I think she, if she can stay healthy, I think Avina is going to be a perfectly good player for UConn. I don't know how good she can be, but I just really worry about those knees and the fact that she's needed all these surgeries. At a certain point, I think you start to have chronic issues and I hope she doesn't, but you could also just use Nika as a way to, hold Avena to a pitch count, keep her on a minutes limit, make sure she's not playing too much. Whereas last year, Gino was trying to keep Crystal's minutes down. And he kept saying over and over during the beginning of the season that he wanted to keep Crystal's minutes down. And they really didn't have anyone that they could put in there to comfortably replace her. So maybe Nika can just fill the void of Avena when she's on the bench just to keep her minutes down. So I think I'm going to move Nika up to number four.
1: Got it. That makes sense to me. It is a good point about her knees and you know we don't really know where they stand but it could be something that causes issues so trying to limit her minutes might make her more effective for this team just then if she's playing less minutes every night she might end up playing more minutes this season than she would if she's playing a ton of minutes game in and game out.
0: Right like I think a good way to use her would be at the beginning of the season, I think it would be good to get her a lot of minutes so that she can kind of shake the rust off from not just not playing competitive basketball for so long, but the fact that she missed most of last season, just in practice. And then obviously the pandemic kept her off the court and her knee rehab. So I think if you can give her a lot of minutes, help her get back into the flow of basketball and get comfortable. And then when you get to the middle of the season or even the early middle, you kind of start to taper that down and then you, keep her minutes lower there, especially when you get into Biggie's play where odds are you could start all five freshmen and they'd win by 15.
1: <laughs> and
0: then when it starts to get to the postseason AAC tournament, NCAA tournament time, I think then you can start to push her minutes up and obviously don't just jump her from a low number to a high number, but work her way up so that she's going to be ready to be a 25, 30, 35 minute player once the postseason starts. that's what I would do. I don't think Gino's looking for advice, but if he is, (laughs) those are my thoughts.
1: Yeah. I'm sure he's got some kind of plan in mind. You don't win 11 rings without some form of a plan. So he's probably not looking for our advice, but
0: (laughs) this is unrelated, but Gino actually had a really interesting quote that I don't think I've heard him articulate it in this way, or he was asked if this is normal, if, it started to feel normal with the students back on campus and with the full team practicing. What he said was, basically, my only concern is, how does this impact winning? So if people ask me a question, I ask them, what's that got to do with winning? If it impacts winning, then I worry about it. If it doesn't, then there's nothing I can do about it, which I. I don't know. Maybe I've just not paid attention when he said something like that, but I find it really interesting that, especially in this time, and as a Patriots fan, obviously Bill Belichick is the master of blocking out the noise and do your job, but I find it interesting that Gino's talking about the only thing that he worries about is winning, which obviously when you have 11 national championships, and I think they have like 50, 50, five, zero conference titles. So when you win that much, you have to have that sort of mindset. But I thought it was really interesting just to hear him actually say it out loud.
1: Yeah, because I mean, even though they've been winning for so long, like obviously this year is just so much different than anything in the last 50, 60, however many years he's been at UConn. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right, so we're going to go into an ad break, come back and then start talking about the women's basketball landscape this year. And we're back. So this past week, ESPN put out its first way too early women's basketball rankings for the season. UConn comes in at number four. Megan, is that fair?
1: I think it's fair. I think in general, when I like look at this list, I'm just like, there's every team on this list that's in the top like 10 has a bunch of question marks. So UConn has a lot of question marks, but so does South Carolina, so does Stanford, so does Baylor, so does everyone else. So to me, it's kind of like, okay, here's your top nine. When I look at this list, I think the top nine are right in general. I just think where they all fall, that it's going to change a lot during the season.
0: Yeah, I think four is fair. I don't think you can put a team that's going to rely on five freshmen very high in the rankings, even though it's UConn. So four feels about right. I think South Carolina is a pretty easy number one, even though I've made my feelings about the program pretty clear. I'm not super concerned about them, but I think they are a pretty clear number one. I wonder if Don Staley is going to try and get a trophy for this one, (laughs) but would your top five be?
1: Yeah, I, South Carolina is definitely in that top five, but I still feel like because they lost Ty Harris and they lost Makai Herbert Harrigan, there's still a lot of question marks there. They had that great freshman class last year, and Aaliyah Boston is obviously fantastic, but you're asking a lot of kind of freshmen to sophomores to make big steps up. Um, but I do still think they're in that top five. I also have Baylor in that top five as well. I think they lost Lauren Cox, which is a huge loss for them, but they kind of the two years ago had that really really good freshman class as well that had a lot of strong front court players Um, I think it's going to be easier than people expect for them to replace Cox and then adding Dejanette Carrington the transfer for grad transfer from Stanford kind of gives them that point guard role that they need they seem to be on this now I think like three year trend of grad transfer point guards but it seems to be working well for them so I'd have them in that top five as well and then UConn in the top five the other two is where it gets tricky um I don't know. I kind of have UCLA up there and people that have listened to me talk about women's basketball in general know that I'm kind of like high on UCLA a lot. But I do think that they're kind of a program that didn't lose that much. They lost to Priest Dean, who was their point guard, senior point guard, but she didn't have an excellent season last year. And they've got some kind of younger talent that stepped up later in the season. And then Michaela Anwari is probably like, if you're putting a, list of, a short list of players to be the number one draft pick next year, she's definitely on it. So to me, I think ESPN has them at like nine, but they're probably a top five program to me. And then that, I think that's four. So still need a fifth one. It's probably Stanford. Um, kind of another team with a big recruiting class that came in last year. If they can kind of step up their game as sophomores, they'll probably be a top five team as well.
0: I'm amazed that I'm higher on South Carolina than you are. That's kind of <laughs> terrifying, actually. I shouldn't be higher on South Carolina than anybody. Okay, so give me a team who you think is underrated coming into this year. It doesn't have to be a top five team.
1: Okay, well I already talked about UCLA, so that would be one. But I would also say Arizona because if you're making that short list of players that um, are going could be a number one draft pick, Aaron McDonald's needs to be on it too, and. Uh, Arizona was like kind of sneaky good last year. They don't, they were near the top of the Pac 12 in a year where the Pac 12 was extremely strong. Um, and they kind of return a lot of play pieces as well. So I think, again, we're going to see a kind of strong basketball on the West Coast. And Arizona's the sneaky one in there as well.
0: You know what I've noticed about Arizona is that you never hear anything about them as a women's basketball program. But I feel like pretty much all UConn's 2022 targets are at least players that have had UConn on their list in the class of 2022 have also had Arizona and it's a little weird to see UConn and Arizona on the same list especially when like Baylor a lot of times Stanford Notre Dame all those perennial power teams and then also Arizona
1: I feel like there this is obviously early to say but they kind of might be in one of those teams that's kind of coming into the like you know upper realm of women's basketball they've been pretty solid l- the last couple of years, largely thanks to Ari McDonald, and kind of built up a little bit of a reputation in the Pac-12, which I feel like hasn't quite s- expanded nationally. I feel like they probably would have burst onto the national scene had there been an NCAA tournament this year because you were going to get Ari McDonald on a like, national television schedule because so much of the Pac-12 is played on the Pac-12 network that you kind of lose the opportunity to see some of those big players at the national kind of level, but... I think that she's a really interesting player and someone that's kind of going to be one of the bigger, like, you know, five names that you have that everyone's talking about in college basketball this year. So, they're kind of coming up there and obviously people that are getting recruited are probably a little closer to everything that's going on, so not surprising to me that they she's or that we're starting to see Arizona on some of those lists.
0: Okay, now who is your most overrated team and why is it South Carolina? <laughs> No, yeah,
1: you can pick I, anyone. No. I do think it's South Carolina right now. I like know that they were good last year, but I do think like it's to have them saying like they're definitely the number one right now kind of discounts what Hubert Harrigan and Ty Harris did for them. They're both first round draft picks. I think sixth and seventh. Um Herbert Harrigan took a little bit to a draft, but she was pretty good for the Lynx this year. And Ty Harris did well with Dallas. That's a lot of leadership to lose. And then you've got mostly like freshmen that played big minutes, so yeah, they're going to be good, but I just—it's a lot of pressure to put on a bunch of sophomores to be like all of a sudden the best, some of the best players in the country, and they need to be the best players in the country for South Carolina to be that good. I think Olivia Boston's probably going to be at that level, but it kind of remains to be seen if the rest of them are going to be at that level.
0: Right, I think we just saw this past season that players that are really talented and are going to be really good college basketball players, like Kristen Williams can have really good freshman seasons and then can struggle as sophomores. Development isn't linear. So I think, yeah, I think you're right that it's a lot to ask to rely that heavily on that young of a group, especially a group that is completely unproven on a national stage. Yeah. They had some big wins. I guess you can call the win over UConn a big win when they should have won that game at by as much as they did, but They don't have any postseason experience, really. They've never played in do-or-die games in the NCAA tournament. So I think they could also get hit with the bright lights and be a little starstruck if they end up in those positions when, as Genoa always says, as players get older, the weight that the older players used to shoulder when they were freshmen and sophomores, now it's going to be their turn. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. Who would your number two overrated team be since we've already talked about South Carolina?
1: Yeah, going, well, jumping way down the list, but Notre Dame at 20, they Notre Dame has done nothing <laughs> in the last year to deserve to be on a top 25 list. They're on the top 25 list because they're Notre Dame, but I they need to show something in the beginning of the season to deserve to be on a top 25 list.
0: They lost to a pit team who had, what, four wins?
1: Yeah, like, like, it's, like, I know they were missing a lot of pieces last year with injuries that they are getting back this year, theoretically, but it's, They just they lost so much after that national or the national championship runner-up team with the you know, five players that went to the WNBA and last year was just like horrible. There's no way to a nicer way to put it, like they were bad.
0: (laughs) They were so bad. They were legitimately a bad team. Like if UConn lost five games, people would be lining up to try and fire Gino. Notre Dame was so so bad that no disrespect to Neil Ivy, but it's going to take a couple of years for them to be able to build back up and get back into being really just a perennial top 25 team. I don't think they're going to be able to make this jump this quickly because yeah, they were missing a lot of players, but a lot of the players that were responsible for the team being this bad are coming back. Obviously they can improve, but the responsibility fell on a lot of these players last year, and to expect them to go from being that bad of a team to suddenly competing with the best teams in the country is absurd.
1: Yep, totally agree. Um, the other one I'll throw in there, too. We, I think you didn't ask for another one, but I'm going to give you one anyway. Uh, would will be it. Maryland at number 12. Maryland just lost so much between players that they graduated and then transfers this off season. I'm not really sure what's left there I, from reading this not much. So it's another team. I think that's really benefiting from their name with the place on this list. I don't
0: think there's any program in women's college basketball. And like, I exaggerate a lot on this podcast, but mm-hmm. I'm actually serious. I don't think there's a program in women's college basketball. That's more overrated than Maryland their resume really, really, really isn't that strong. They have one national championship, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they went to the final four in 2015. And then 2016, no, 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 2017, two years later, I remember they were the number two seed with UConn and everyone was talking about, ooh, UConn's going to have to get through Maryland again t- in order to get to the final four after Maryland gave them a tough run. And Maryland lost in the Sweet 16. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I. I just think it's such an overrated program that really, really never threatens UConn.
1: I mean they've definitely had some good players come through. There's some excellent players in the WNBA that have come out of Maryland. But agreed, they've never been the kind of program where they get grouped in with this like elite group, right? That like of you know the UConn, Stanford's, Notre Dame's, South Carolina's, et cetera, of the world. But they don't have really the success that backs that up.
0: Okay, you just made me think of this, but. Let's rank tiers. So ranking the overall program as they are, you can use both history, but where they are today should factor into it a little more heavily. So give me your women's basketball tiers and I don't know, maybe go 10, Teams deep, whatever you feel is right. Obviously, UConn's in a tier by itself. So yeah, we can start like <laughs> two or three tiers below them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say UConn is all out at the top. But yeah, I mean, your next tier to me is Notre Dame. Despite where they are right now, I like believe that they'll be back in a couple of years at a pretty elite level. So you're Notre Dame, Baylor. I think that's my only two that I'm putting in that tier I think I really, have to drop not Tennessee oh sorry well for me t- the thing with Tennessee is they used to be so good but where have they been for years at this point is right yeah
0: well it's like I said you should weigh the modern stuff now but historically there's no one better than Tennessee
1: That's fair. so okay. I
0: think I would also put them in that tier because it's not like LA tech where LA tech had a good run in the eighties, Tennessee was relevant for a long time. And if you think about it, it was basically the end of Pat summits tenure, and then one bad coaching hire that's kept them down. So I think we'll really see what kind of program is with Kelly Harper.
1: Okay. All right. That's fair. So Tennessee can go in that tier as well. So also, I I just
0: want to talk about Baylor a little bit since Mm -hmm. you mentioned them, you have them in that tier, right? Mm -hmm. so uh, Baylor I think is probably the most perennial underrated program in the country like Baylor is an unbelievably successful program and I feel like people give them their due to a certain degree but up until this year I think it was back to like 2007 the number one team in the final AP poll every single season was either UConn or Baylor not Notre Dame, not South Carolina until this year, not Tennessee. And before that it was Duke surprisingly, but Baylor was pretty much the number two team with UConn that entire time. And they have three national championships, which puts them third all time higher than Notre Dame. I think, I think Kim Mulkey's program doesn't get talked about enough. They're unbelievable and unbelievably consistent too, which Notre Dame hasn't always had.
1: Yep. I would totally agree with that. I think for some reason it kind of feels like it gets slipped under the rug that they have been consistently one of, if not the best teams in the country year after year. Um, And yet they still don't get kind of that level of respect for it. Which is interesting.
0: Okay. So you've got UConn in Tier one, you've got Notre Dame, Baylor, and did you put Tennessee in there? Yeah, yeah, I'll put Tennessee. Okay. We've got them in like tier, uh, I'll call that tier four because they don't deserve to be next to you. <laughs> Who do you have in tier five?
1: Tier five, you've got Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, I think South Carolina has to go in there as well. And then mm-hmm.
0: um... <laughs> <laughs> I have thoughts, but I'll let you continue. Okay.
1: Uh, who else? I'm struggling here. I feel like, yeah, it's I'm struggling with who else even goes at that level before you take another step down. I feel like the other teams that like need to be talked about at some point in this conversation are probably Maryland, Duke, but I don't think they're we're at that level yet. See,
0: Stanford's a tough one because. They're consistently one of the best teams in the country. Like it's never a surprise to see them in the final four, but they just can't win those national championship games. They haven't won since the nineties. So how much can you reward consistent success and consistently being one of the best teams in the country with not being able to finish it off? And I think, I think they definitely are in that tier, but I think the if they if they'd won a national championship in the last ten years, I think they would deserve to be in the tier above. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's what keeps them kind of pushed down into this next tier. I think they are so consistently good, but because they just don't have that like extra layer of success, they can't like quite make the jump into being up with your like Bar- Baylor's, Tennessees of the world.
0: See, and that's. Also why I have a problem with South Carolina being in the same tier as them, because (laughs) South Carolina has been a good program for like five years now. So they obviously have the national championship and they have the national championship more recently, but Stanford has that longevity. They've been a better program longer. They also have more national championships.
1: This is true, but I do think that South Carolina is one of those programs that is kind of I think they burst onto the scene with Asia Wilson, but their recruiting classes over the past couple of years have kind of proven at this point, I think, that they're there to stay, right? At least for the foreseeable future. I think they've got another big class coming in next year. They're kind of consistently at this point staying within that, whatever the current elite tier is.
0: I'll accept that argument, but I still have them in the tier for me below Stanford. So then we're getting on to... Who do you have under Stanford and South Carolina?
1: This is where I feel like it starts to get tricky because there's like, who's successful now, who's been successful. You've kind of hit all the like elite ones at this point, but I would say you probably have to put like a Maryland in there. That's a the team that's consistently good, has a national championship. Uh, Duke hasn't been great in a while, but there was a time when Duke women's basketball was very strong Um, Louisville probably deserves to be in a conversation about it. They don't have the national title, but especially as of recently, they've been a consistently very good team. I'm like struggling with who else would go in that group though.
0: If I have the teams that have won national titles in front of me, (laughs) and it's such a comical group of teams because half of them haven't even like even been a thought the last few years. So by title, UConn is 11, Tennessee is eight, Baylor has three, Louisiana tech, Notre Dame, and Stanford and USC all have two. And then the ones are just a wild place. So Maryland won it in 2006, North Carolina in 1994, old dominion in 1985, Purdue in 1999, South Carolina in 2017, Texas in 1986, probably the weirdest national champion of the last decade. Texas A and M, 2011, and then Texas Tech won it in 1993. And I don't think I would put any of those programs that we haven't talked about already in any of any tier above where we are now, or any this tier where we are above where we
1: are now. Yep, I. Totally agree. I think they're kind of all, a lot of the, you know, the older championships, you could point to a player on some of those teams that explains where they came from, but yeah, there's no one that's kind of had sustained success period. (laughs) Like, yeah.
0: Right. So I think I would throw in whatever number tier we're on now. Okay. So I think it would be easier to name them. There's the Yukon tier. Then I would say the generally perennial national championship contenders that have a couple rings with Baylor Tennessee and Notre Dame, even though Tennessee's kind of fallen off that recently, Then I think below that you have the good program, the really good programs that have won, that have been consistent. So Stanford, South Carolina, I think below that I would throw a large group of teams that kind of fluctuate. They have pretty good teams, but they generally don't break through for national championships. So like Maryland, Louisville. I think Duke would be fair to put in there. Texas has had some solid teams recently. Um, I think Oregon is fair to put in there. I think even though they've been around recently, I think they're proving that they're going to be a program that sticks around even without Sabrina UNESCO. I think they'll kind of get kickstarted by her the way Asia Wilson did so with South Carolina. And... Uh, Am I, miss- I feel like I'm missing someone in that tier, but I, I think that's kind of where I would, what I would call that one, and who I'd throw in there.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. It seems like the fair group. I I hesitate a little bit on throwing Oregon in there, not because I don't think that they will, but they just haven't like aside from Sabrina, they haven't fully proven it yet. And I mean, obviously they oh, got sure. the chance to win a national championship this year, which would have been probably enough to throw them into that tier, but. It- Um, I'm just interested to see what happens with them. And they've got good recruits coming in and there's really nothing that should make it so they don't continue to be really good, but just need to see it first.
0: For sure. And then I think there's an honorary tier of programs that used to be really good that aren't anymore. That's basically occupied by LA tech and old dominion. (laughs) Some of the like original women's basketball and Rutgers. I would actually put Rutgers in there too. They have a Mm -hmm. national championship. Shout out Chris Daly. (laughs) <laughs> all right so those are your women's basketball tiers we're going to go to an ad break now and we're going to close up with some wnba talk i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together.
1: I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It
0: opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal.
1: Deal. Listen to The Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're back. So last time we podcasted, the WNBA playoffs had just started. We had made some predictions. Now, WNBA finals are getting ready to go. It will be the two top seeds, the Seattle Storm and the Las Vegas Aces. I think that's pretty much what we expected, but both teams took a little bit of a different route to get there. The Storm swept the Minnesota Lynx, and the Las Vegas Aces, shout out to them, I was rooting for them, (laughs) needed a – let's just say what it was. They needed a choke from the Connecticut Sun to get to the finals. The Sun really should be in the finals right now, but they're not. So let's start with the Seattle Storm because obviously they have some pretty hefty Yukon connections and those Yukon connections are the ones that got them into the finals.
1: Yeah, of course. We've got obviously Brianna Stewart, Seabird, and Morgan Tuck on that team. I think I mean a lot of it comes down to Brianna Stewart and being the kind of the anchor of that team, the they haven't released first-team All-WNBA yet, but I'm assuming she's going to be first-team All-WNBA. Um, basically, third in the voting for MVP, kind of the biggest anchor of that star team, and she's been phenomenal down the stretch of these playoffs for the um, storm. And then to close it out, Sue Bird as well had a fantastic game. I actually think in that game, I think it was the final game of that series, it was like UConn players accounted for over half of the points in the game between Stewie, Sue Bird, <laughs> Collier, and Crystal Dangerfield. <laughs> it's
0: insanity. Like, four players account, just in general, four players account for half the game's points is pretty nuts. But the fact that they're all UConn players, I mean, Gino said it today. He can sit back every single season and watch some of his former players compete for championships. It's just unbelievable.
1: Yeah, no, it's crazy in that game, especially it was crazy. Credit to my mom for that stat. <laughs> she sent it to me and I was like, oh, where'd you read that? She's like, I looked at the box score and I was like, yeah. No. <laughs> but yeah, um, really impressive play from all of you players kind of in the playoffs in that series. We can talk about Nafisa more some after when we're done talking about the Storm. But even Sue Bird had a great series, which I think was really positive to see for the Storm. She battled injuries all season long. So to see her looking healthy for kind of their... Semifinals, finals run is a good thing for Seattle.
0: So since it's 2020 and anything can happen, the Storm aren't guaranteed to win the championship, but what type of apocalyptic event would need to happen for that not to occur?
1: I feel like Brianna Store has to get hurt for it to not occur. Like, I think that's, like, the only thing. If, like, Stewie's not on the court or, like, the rest of the team gets injured or something. But I will be shocked, especially now that the Aces have lost DRK Hamby. Like, for... The storm not to win the title would be very surprising to me. I don't know. I just don't think – I think we saw Vegas struggle with Connecticut quite a bit. And, I mean, a lot of credit to Connecticut for that because they were very good except for the last half of that game five. But I think Seattle's probably going to run away with this. Just to
0: go slightly off topic because we're not going to talk about them much. But I know I was rooting for Las Vegas for certain reasons. But Kurt Miller is honestly – such an underrated coach. He might be a dark horse to be like the best coach in the WNBA. They never should have gotten to the conference finals, but, or not the conference finals, but the WNBA semifinals. <laughs> and they almost got to the finals despite not having John Quell Jones, despite Alyssa Thomas, barely having her arms connected to each other. Like it's the fact that they got this far, especially after the start they had is Insane. And Kurt D- Miller deserves a ton of credit.
1: Agreed. He is phenomenal. I and mean, they started the season 0 and 5, and then were literally one possession away from making the finals. Absolutely insane. I mean, Connecticut is hopefully going to get John Cole Jones back next year and probably be on track for another finals appearance. But Yeah, he's been phenomenal, and I mean, this is not a Maryland podcast or a K-Sun podcast, but we have to give Alyssa Thomas some credit because it's just crazy what she did kind of down the stretch of the semifinals with a dislocated shoulder on top of her already, like, partially torn labrums. The fact that she was able to, like, come out and play those games just is absolutely insane.
0: Meanwhile, like, I roll my ankle, and I, like, don't want to go for a run. So, like, (laughs) clearly a a different type of person, but – so the storm went through the Minnesota Lynx, as we mentioned earlier. What were your impressions, though, from Nafisa Collier and Crystal Dangerfield's first playoff series?
1: Yeah, so I'll talk about Crystal first. So I think Crystal struggled a little bit in the playoffs. Um, she didn't quite look as great as she did all season, but honestly there was a lot of pressure on her and the team in general just to get through. I think she did get better as the series went on. Um, So I think that was positive to see. But still overall, like, a phenomenal season for her. And then Nafisa, like, I can't say enough about how good Nafisa has been this season and was in the playoffs. I feel like probably my, like, favorite moment or moment collection of moments from the playoffs was that first game of the Seattle-Minnesota series, which, by the way, like, Minnesota did almost win that game, probably almost entirely, thanks to Nafisa Collier. They were like last second prior shot from sending it to overtime so um really impressive game from Fee and I think the funnest part about that was watching her guard Brianna Stewart literally all game long and then the last quarter of that game Nafisa really put the team on her back and she blocked every single one of Stewie's shots in that last quarter <laughs> it was insane but also like really exciting to watch because I feel like people's at least on my Twitter feed for starting to recognize like okay yes Nafisa Collier is in this like tier of players right like she's one of the best players in the league um so I think that was exciting to see and then I mean her line in that game was just insane she had like 25 points nine rebounds four or five from deep and six blocks like just an incredible performance
0: where do the links go from here? Because I think it's pretty obvious. As you've said, Fisa is going to be one of the best players in the WNBA for a long time. I think Crystal's probably going to be one of the best point guards in the country, not in the country, in the league going forward. So where do you see those players still needing to improve for their game? And then what's the future of the links with those two, especially with one named Maya Moore still potentially Looming for next season,
1: right? I think the biggest thing with Nafisa's game is her outside shot, which we've kind of seen start to come in in these kind of down the stretch of this season. She's been hitting it pretty consistently from three. I think she's actually at like over forty percent from deep for the season. So as more she adds that to her game and hits more threes, I think that's gonna up her ability to score more points, which I think is kind of one of the things that's holding her back from being in that like MVP type conversation. But Well, I think that's one thing for Nafisa. And then Crystal, I think it's just going to be like, I mean, you were just thrown into the game from college. It's your first year, but she's going to get used to the defensive end more and just like playing against more experienced point guards in college. You know, everyone has kind of the same amount of experience as you do, whereas obviously now she's playing in like a series like this against Suberg, who's just like so smart with the ball because she just has so many years of experience behind her. But um, It'll be kind of interesting to see how how her game develops as she goes, just gets more experience under her belt. But for the Lynx, I mean, obviously, this year they played without Sylvia Fowles for most of the season, without Maya Moore, and are generally very young core players and were much better than anyone expected them to be. So if you take that young core players, which is theoretically going to keep getting better and then add back in a healthy Sylvia Fowles, who's if healthy probably one of if not the best centers in the league and then you add him if you add back Maya which is just obviously a game changer for any team the links are gonna be really really good
0: yeah I mean it's just scary to think of how good that they could be with the team they have now but the fact that just Maya Moore is hanging I don't think I would be so surprised if Maya Moore doesn't play basketball again just it seems like the her stepping away from basketball, a huge piece of that, even though it wasn't the entire part was to free Jonathan irons. And now that that's accomplished, I think she'll be able to still do her philanthropy work and her social justice work during the off seasons. I don't think she's going to be a player that's going to play overseas anymore, especially with the new WNBA CBAs. It's only a few months in the summer. I think she is eventually going to come back to basketball because as Gino pointed out when she announced she was sitting out this year again, he said, he called her and he told her, you realize that basketball is the reason you have this voice. And the further you go away from not playing it, the less of a stature you're going to have. And she said, I know. So I think she is eventually going to go get back to playing basketball. And it's going to just be so much fun watching those three play together. Just not necessarily three eras of UConn, but, definitely three pretty distinct players from some different times. So I want to play a game around FISA, but we're going to come back to that in a little bit because first I want to just finish up with the WNBA playoffs. The Phoenix Mercury got knocked out. They had three chances with the game on the line in the series, and Diana Taurasi didn't touch the ball a single time. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but come on. like.
1: Yeah, it's it's just baffling to me. I don't know. Like, you would have thought that, obviously, Taurasi should have had the first person to get the ball in her hands. Uh, The last game, I mean, when they, I wanted Minnesota to win, but, like, when they lost to Minnesota, it was, like, a poorly timed, like, bad shot from Skylar Dickens-Smith that just did not go in at the end when they could have tied it with that. And, yeah, why you're not doing everything in your power to have Diana Taurasi taking that shot is just beyond me. I don't know what to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, it's we talked about this on the regular UConn pod with the Celtics and Kemba Walker, but it's like these players have a, such a great history of hitting tough clutch shots to keep series alive or to win games. Like, obviously the defense is going to make those players like Diana their first priority, but they're Diana Taurasi for a reason. Just give them the ball, and if you're going to lose – Lose with Diana Taurasi. There is no shame in doing that, but you can't lose a series not giving her the ball once. That is just totally unforgivable. Sandy Brondello is way too good of a coach to let that happen.
1: Yeah, I just especially the game in When I, said, I just don't. I just don't understand that last shot because it wasn't a good shot from Skylar Diggins Smith. I could be giving Skylar Diggins Smith I mean, She's also a great player. The ball, she had a good look and was open, but that wasn't the case. So it just. Yeah, none of it makes any sense to me, but Dinotrasi yeah. has now lost, what does that make two single elimination games?
0: <laughs> That's absurd. Well, and then that doesn't even count college. She lost one NCAA tournament game in college, and yeah. she was a freshman. So that stat is even more insane. I don't know what the Big East tournament records are off the top of my head, but even still, just it, it's an absurd number, and gee... I wonder why she's won all those elimination games. Probably because they give her the ball at the end of the games. <laughs> like, it, <Yep. laughs> it's just ridiculous that they didn't give it to her. I'm watching the game, and I'm thinking to myself, like, is there something I'm missing? Like, Am I just not following the the Mercury close enough where they have some grand plan where Diana Taurasi doesn't get the ball? Is Diana Taurasi not been? No. They, no. I was completely right in being utterly confused. But I know after the Mercury loss, this was kind of floated that that could be Diana Taurasi's final game. I don't know about you, but I don't believe that one bit. She's coming back next year to play in the Olympics.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I don't really think that anyone was really thinking that it was her last game, and then someone flooded it on Twitter, and I was like, well, that just ruined my evening. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I fully expect that she's going to be back next year and play the Olympics. I, we're probably going have to have that conversation next year, but I'm just going to wait to 2021 to deal with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when the U.S. team came to Hartford for the exhibition game against UConn, I think Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird, obviously this is pre-pandemic, made it pretty clear that this was going to be their last Olympic run, which Sue Bird's not going to be playing in the Olympics at age 44. Diana Taurasi's not going to be playing in her 40s either. So that wasn't a surprise, but it did kind of have a sense of finality. Like they probably weren't going to be going much longer, but it's not like Diana Taurasi's playing – overseas anymore she's only a wnba player now she's definitely made plenty of money for herself in her career especially if you add on endorsements she doesn't i don't think one year especially to win another gold medal which they're basically guaranteed of no one beats the u.s national team she's such a competitor that i don't see her stepping away with one more thing that she has in her grasp to win
1: yeah, I agree. I see one more season coming for her. And it's not like she needs to retire, right? Like, she was still, like, probably first-team All-WNBA. If not, she's all second-team All-WNBA this season. Like One of the best guards in the league still in, still after all this time. So there's not like she's, like, starting to come down from being a great player or anything like that. So I fully expect that her and Ian Subert will be back next season.
0: Yeah, for sure. To put your mind at ease. So... <laughs> Getting back to the game I mentioned earlier, after the Lynx lost or sometime during that series, I saw a tweet that said, if you were building a WNBA team, how high would you be picking Nafisa Collier to build your entire team around as your franchise player? So Megan, you kind of wrote about this in the weekly. So I'm going to give you two things to think about. Let's start with, if you're starting a WNBA franchise right now, you just got an expansion team in...
1: Megan, where do you want a WNBA team? Huh. Let's see. Um, I feel like Portland, like Oregon, needs one. Good one. Yeah, okay, that was going to be time. my pick.
0: <laughs> Go Timbers and Thorns. So you have just been awarded a WNBA franchise in Portland, Oregon. You have every single player in the league is available for you to pick. Who are you taking in... And let's keep it to which UConn, but well, tell me which overall players you you would pick. And then in order, which UConn players you would take after that? All players are open.
1: Okay. Oh, this is tricky. All right. Well, I mean, number one overall, taking Brietta store, I still think like Stewie's got many, many, many good years and probably many, many MVP awards in her future. Still yep. the best basketball player in the world. I don't think really there's much question that she should be the, your number one overall pick. Um, Second, I feel like you have to take Angel Wilson too. I like, She's just like kind of on that, like she's not at Stewie's level, but she's going to probably win another, like this is not going to be her last MVP season. Like she's going to win more MVP awards. But I do really feel like the piece of Collier is probably your like third pick. Like, I struggle to sit in here and think like, if you're building a franchise around players, like, I mean, there's players that you should talk about, like Candace Parker, but they're older. And if you're building a new franchise, you should be going with the younger talent. And I feel like if you're trying to build something, the Avisa Collier is, like, one of those players that just she's, should be on your team. She's going to keep getting better. She's already very close to that MVP consideration line, she probably. I mean, like, she anchored Minnesota in a playoff run this year probably going to be doing the same thing next year, moving closer to that MVP conversation. So I think there's a future MVP award in her future. I think any kind of franchise if you had to pick, to pick your first three players that she should be one of them.
0: How about you give me which remaining UConn players to round out a top five? Okay. Oh like which next UConn players you would pick?
1: Okay. Oh um, so I already gave you Stewie asian okay all right so to round out a top five for uconn players in terms of a front if you're adding one more to the front court i'm going with azure stevens um i think yeah yeah. i think i don't know she's just she showed a little bit this year of like kind of where she can be and then she got hurt i guess that's the tricky thing there she's the niece the players with the knee injuries are always tricky but if you're Picking from kind of current UConn players in the front court, I still I think she has a lot of potential. Um and then from a guard pres- well, I wasn't including Maya as an option. Why should I even be including Maya as an Ooh. option? Well actually
0: <laughs> that would have to be your call as the new owner of the <laughs> Portland I don't know, I suck at names. Whatever <laughs> the original Portland team name was. So would you pick Maya Moore to build your franchise with not knowing if she's gonna come back but if she does you arguably have a top three player
1: yeah I feel like I'm taking Maya. I don't know I just like I think she's coming back but I also feel like this she's the type of player that's like worth that kind of gamble because it's a difference maker to have her on any team
0: right so where would you put her I think you'd probably put her behind Stewie yeah. Where would she rank within Asia Wilson, Nafisa Collier? Would she be in between, above, behind those two?
1: Oh, it's so tricky because you've got the gamble of does she come back and what level does she come back at. But That's another piece of it, yeah. Yeah. I think i put her right behind I People might have issues with that, but I don't know. I still think I would take Nafisa first. I just think you know what level of is at right now, and it's already so high. And it's probably going to keep going up. I, I feel like Nafisa just people will take offense to that because Nafisa gets underrated so much. But like, I think she's part of that tier of Yukon players that's like that elite, small elite group of Yukon players that has been that good. Is, Nafisa is part of that group. So because that's you fair. already know what level she's at, I think I put her ahead of mile right now.
0: That's fair. Okay. So let me change the scenario now. Imagine. 2021 season, pandemic's still happening. They're going to do another bubble in Florida, but the rules are changing so that every single player is going to be out of contract for the bubble. So you can pick anyone, but you're only going to have them for this one season, and you want to win a championship. Which UConn players would you build around? Because now, Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird come into the picture.
1: Yes. Alright, so we've got Five UConn players, you're saying, and you want to win a championship? Sure,
0: but, like, not, like, which ones you would build a team with, but if it was, like, a draft, okay, who would you pick to build a team around? So I'm assuming Stewie and Fisa go 1-2 or yep. – okay.
1: Yeah, Stewie and Fisa go 1-2. I feel like if you're just trying to win a championship and it's just next year, you... Diana Taurasi probably goes 3. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just – there's – no one quite liked Diana in terms of, like, competitiveness. It's, you have to take a third, I think. Um, are we considering Maya in this or no? Uh,
0: yeah, sure. Let's say Maya Moore comes back, but you haven't seen her play.
1: I feel like even if you haven't seen Maya play, I'm still taking Maya fourth, just, like, kind of looking at the list of other UConn players in the league right now. Even if she's not at, like, Maya more before she stepped away level, she's still going to be one of your better options. Um, So I think I would take Maya fourth. So that leaves me with one more. I feel like you'd have to go super because you need a point guard. Right. And so it's kind of between Sue or Crystal, but I just... Crystal can get to that level, but I don't know that she's there. Next level, next year, I feel like you probably take Superd. So, yeah. Right.
0: That's fair. Who would, you don't have to rank them, but who would be in that next tier that you would look at?
1: Uh, I think in that next tier, you've got probably Kia Nurse. Oh, yeah,
0: that's right.
1: Crystal Dangerfield. After the season she had this year, Bria Hartley should also be in that next tier. And then. I think Azari Stevens as well.
0: Yeah. I feel like you're missing a big one in here.
1: I feel like, oh, Steph Dolson should be in that next year, too. I didn't include her. Is that who you were thinking?
0: No. I okay. Former Rookie of the Year and MVP just got traded, sat out the year. Tina Charles.
1: Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> the problem is I'm, like, working off my list that I put in the weekly list week. And it's <laughs> <Yeah>. not... <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, Tina Charles should definitely be in that. I don't know that I put Tina... Ch- I doesn't change my top five, but, yeah, she's okay. definitely in that next group.
0: <laughs> yep. No, I think that's fair. I I pretty much agree with your list. I don't think I would have much of a change. But, yeah, okay. Well, honestly, I think, a dub- like, a bubble... It w- This. Let me just prefaces that it would never happen, but like a bubble league where they have a fantasy draft for it, that would be incredible.
1: It would be so much fun. (laughs) It's never happened, but it's still fun to think about.
0: (laughs) No chance. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the weekly. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Conley. Subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Leave us a rating Share it with your friends. Read the Yukon blog, Store Central. Megan,
1: you got anything? Um, wear a mask so we can stop saying that if the season happens and <laughs> things go as planned and can just talk about actual basketball. <laughs> Extremely
0: good point. Wear a mask. That'll do it. sorry i just got a really weird text (laughs) that popped up on my screen and i'm really (laughs) no worries uh (laughs) it was just we will have fresh sheets on the bed and then like the the preview uh popped out oh crap sorry what was i saying (laughs)